Happy New Year's, everyone, and welcome back to Drunk Boys Basement, where drunk conversations happen. Today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're doing we're doing an early episode. This is early for us, real early. Oh yeah. Um, we're actually joined by someone very special, uh, Brendan Kumarasamy. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. You're good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, he's the host and uh, the 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 owner, the creator behind Master Talk. Um, do you are you kind of, do you have any other platforms you work out of like Master Talk, or is that kind of your your primary workflow area? You got it, man. Primary workflow. Okay, cool. So, um, how long ago did you start that channel? Yeah, for sure. So I've been coaching public stream for like five years now, but I started YouTube specifically probably two years ago. Oh, okay. What caused you to want to do that just to try to get more of a following? Yes. Essentially what happened was I never really had any intention of being like an entrepreneur or anything. My goal is just to go to university and become like an executive at a company. I never really wanted to do any of this stuff. But what happened (laughs) basically was, you know, at some point, I I noticed that a lot of the communication information is really bad online. You know, you hear advice like, oh, you should like be yourself or get up on stage. And I was like, all this stuff's useless. Mm -hmm. I just took out a phone. I started making videos. I never really wanted to do anything else with it. But then over time, I got better on camera and I saw the bigger opportunity, which was, how do I help the world master communication? Because no one's going to share this stuff for free unless I do it. Right, right. Okay. No, that's that's awesome. I, um, one of one of my personal shortfalls has always been public speaking, and it's it's weird to say that doing this platform because um, when we initially got in front of mics, it was it was so different, and I, there was no reason for it to be different, and it was just such a different experience, and it was weird, especially for for Sean because he's not he doesn't do this kind of thing ever. Yeah, I'm probably the, the one with the most heart. There you go. See? See? <laughs> there I'm already go. messing up. <laughs> the hardest time speaking. And it, it was really funny because uh, just a little bit of background. We, we used to have a lot of conversations off mic. And it, it was weird putting the mics in front of us and realizing we had an audience to speak to. Definitely yeah, changed it. That, was, that really put it into perspective. Um, did public speaking ever scare you to begin with? Oh, 100%. I, I can relate to everything you guys said. You know, I started guesting on shows probably, what, six, seven months ago. And oh, even okay. for me, like the mastermind side, it was like, uh, like people would be like, where's the fear of public speaking come from? And I was like, oh, well, I don't really know. <laughs> so it was like, it was, it was challenging for me too, because I started getting asked questions that I never really thought of before. So trust me, even 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 professional speakers, whenever they enter new mediums, whenever they try and communicate in a way they hadn't before, they struggle yeah. too. And and I would say that was probably on steroids for me. Like when I was a kid growing up in Montreal, French is the language that everyone in the city speaks. So you need to know it or else you can't really do well here. So, so my parents looked at me and they said, hey, look, buddy, you got to go to a French school. So they threw me into a French education system, which of mm. course I'm super grateful for today. I speak a lot of languages, but the process wasn't so fun because not only was I you know, uncomfortable presentations. I had to present them in a language I didn't even know. And that's where all the challenge came from me. It's like, imagine being in a room and you're just going like, bonjour. Yeah, public speaking is definitely something I sucked at in my life. And then after that, I I was able to hone in my craft and get really good at it. That's, no, that's, that's awesome. I, (laughs) I, how, how do you, really start to know when you've honed your craft is it when people are approaching that's the one thing i've always been curious about when someone teaches a subject is how do you know 
when you're versed enough in that subject to be able to teach it? And is it because people are approaching you or you're just really adept at, at knowing what you're doing? Right. So my, my perspective on this has always been, what does being an expert even mean? Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of people say you need a PhD to coach people. You need a master's degree, but that's not true. I mean, we look at all these people, they're really good at studying. They're not really good at teaching. So I would say for me, the, the perspective has always been being a chapter ahead of the next person. If you know a bit more than the next person about a subject, you're qualified to teach anyone behind you, not the people in front of you. So let's say if I wanted to learn something about podcasting and gear and equipment, I would ask you to. Sure, are you the number <laughs> one podcast in the world of human society? No, but it doesn't matter. You don't need to be to tell me. Like It's like if I went to Utah or Salt Lake and I was like, where should I go? Are you the number one tour guide in Salt Lake City? Do you own the city? No, but you probably know. Yeah, no, with me. Yeah, yeah, that's the key I want to bring. Is if if, yeah, go ahead, brother. Oh no, I was I was gonna let you. I was gonna let you finish. I just that's a very interesting take on it because I've always entrepreneurs and, and business owners and teachers and instructors and mentors. That's one of the things that I've always been super interested about is just how they think and um, you know, why they think the way they do, especially when it comes to teaching like yourself, which you're very versed in your, in your world. I've done some research and I've watched your videos and they're all honestly, they're all top tier, man. Like, honestly, if I, when I was in college, if I could find some of those videos, just because man, I'm telling you some of the public speaking classes I've taken have been a real trip. So <laughs> Dude, agreed, man. Agreed. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, my communication pl class, they didn't even give me an A. I got a B plus. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> really? It's like the guy, I, was a, I was a better communicator than the dude who was speaking. I was like, this makes no sense. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I, I that's funny. I, <laughs> I, yeah. So, um, I mean, so you've been with me. So you, you have had master talk for, you said five years, YouTube for two years. And when did you start? Did you start teaching before Master Talk? Because I assume that happened after the teaching started. You got it. You got it, man. So, so Master Talk's been around for two years, technically. So, the reason oh, okay, I say okay. five coaching is because the three years before I started Master Talk, I was coaching people like you two. You know, I was in business school, I was like 20, 21. And I, and I did these things called case competitions, really bizarre thing, but it's basically professional sports, but for nerds. So the guys my age were playing football or something. And obviously, yeah. I, if I played football, I probably wouldn't be alive today. So I played something else, which was <laughs> presentation. Yeah. I did I did presentations for fun for three years. And I, and I did that competitively. And a lot of the universities wow. have these case competitions, like the University of Florida, University of Pennsylvania. So yeah, we'd go up against these schools, and we'd basically solve business problems. And we present them to executives, and the executives pick, pick the best solution. I know this sounds like a trip, like people actually do this for fun. It's actually a thing. So, so yeah, that, that was my life for three years. And that's how I got, I became the speak coach that I am today. Okay. No, that's, that's awesome. Honestly, that sounds pretty fun to me just because I'm a business student as well. Um, and just solving problems is interesting to me, especially in the corporate world, because it can be, the corporate world can be such a just monotonous thing. And that's what's so weird about entrepreneurs in the business world, in my opinion, is trying to figure out a way to bridge that gap because there's there's just two different mindsets and two different ways of thinking between, <clears throat> excuse me, those two worlds. And um, honestly, the entrepreneur world, in my opinion, is a little bit more difficult to navigate than like the corporate world. I agree with that. Oh, I would say it's a lot harder, way harder. 
than the corporate world. I mean, I, I'm from the corporate world. I, I think that there's pros and cons, right? Corporate is, you know what the expectation is. You get paid for that expectation to move on to the next level, but you mm. have there's not enough. There's not a lot of creativity. You don't. You can't really run the show. Whereas with yeah. entrepreneurship, you can run anything, but because there's no rules and no structure, if you fail, you just you just die. So it's kind of like a free for all. Yeah. What, so. <laughs> One one thing that I've been very curious about, specifically about yourself, is um, personally I thrive off of uh, assessments from management or my friends or family or just I, I just ha- I, I like feedback and I mean that can be said for just about anybody I think but for you how where does your feedback come from it's like master talk as it is where does your feed is it coming from your audience or where is that coming from Yeah, it's a great question, man. It, it comes from it comes from everybody. Audience is definitely a big thing that I teach, mm-hmm. that I really preach. Is the idea of like, don't just talk to them, have dinner with them, like connect yeah. with them, get to yeah. know them, understand who they are, their psychology, what they aspire to be, and then make better content for them. That's definitely one part. I would say the other thing that I recommend people have is what I call a, well, actually, I don't call this, I, I got this from somebody else named Ed Milet. And it's basically the having a board of advisors, like people who coach you on every area of life, people who just look out for you. And those are the people that I, that I get feedback from that give me like really constructive stuff. So, so they're not afraid to just be like, yeah, your videos suck even today. Yeah. Yeah. Even when everything's at the top of the, the game, they're just kind of like, yeah, this sucks. Like you, you didn't talk about this. You didn't do this. You didn't play it like this. So, so yeah, I, I try and get feedback from as many people as I can, but I think for me, something that might be useful for people is how do you get good feedback from bad? And for me, good feedback is always solution oriented. So if I just say that you suck and then I walk away, which well, is like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, if I say you yeah. suck because of this, this, this is how you improve this, 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 I'll always pay attention to that type of feedback. Yeah, I think that's that's super important, especially um, just, yeah, because I, I entered the corporate world probably uh, four years ago this month, actually. And so that's when I really started to learn about um, you know, self-assessments and feedback and criticism and constructive criticism. Cause to your point, yeah, I mean, criticism is one thing, but if you're just criticizing to criticize, like, come on, it doesn't get anybody anywhere. So it's just kind of a waste of time. Um, but no, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, but so, but with all that in mind, with, with everything being said and with, you know, your public speaking background, what are you like, what, what is one thing that you would have done differently like if you if you could go back and and you didn't really necessarily go into the public speaking sector what i mean is there something you would have done like where where would where would brendan go if he could if he could redo the last four years yeah you know you know it's always fun to look back and you know and kind of reassess but i think the only thing i would have done differently if master talk never came up as an idea is i would have just kept working corporate i would just kind of grinded the ladder like everyone you know, like for, for me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I, I want to have this brilliant idea and make a difference in the world. Master kind of just, you know, chose me in many ways where it was like, you know, you're pretty good at communication. No one else is teaching it. Why don't you do something with it? Because because for me, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's funny. I'm, I was saying this is like, I think entrepreneurship is not for everyone, like for sure. It's it's a it's a very difficult path. And it's one I, I'm, I'm still not even fully in. I still have my day job. Right. So, so what, what I really implore people to start thinking about is how do you get to financial security in the fastest possible way? Like if you look at Americans in general, yeah, I'm not American, but I know the stat, like almost half of them barely have $400 in savings. 
So I think for most people yeah. out there, the smartest thing to do is to get a nice corporate job and keep your expenses low. And then it gives you a lot more freedom to start actually thinking about what you want to do with life instead of wasting that money and that leverage that you're getting from work on like stupid shit you don't need. That's always been my perspective. Yeah. But yeah, dude. Yeah, if, no, that's if Mastrack didn't work, it figured something else out for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. And it's one of those things where um we so I mean, would you at this point consider yourself an influencer? <laughs> no one's asked for that. I don't really know, man. I think it's been fascinating because I'm kind of in that in-between state right? Yeah. where I know my content's pretty world-class on the platform, but I don't have the followers <laughs> to back me up, right? So so I think I think where I'm at right now is, is kind of this weird state where I remember at some point <laughs> I was like on my, my seventh show, the guy was like, dude, I'm such a big fan. You like changed my life and I have like 10 subscribers. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Thanks, bro, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's something that I need to get used to. But yeah, I, I think I think what I learned in the journey, man, and it's it's a tough pill to swallow because I, I don't really like the fame part of it. That's why I like I like making public speaking videos because no one's gonna jump yeah. me at an airport. You know, <laughs> if people come up to me, you know, the one the one in a thousand, they're they're not gonna be like they're not gonna yell. They're just gonna be like, "Hey, I really like your work, man. It's great meeting you. Thanks for your video." They'll walk away. You know, it's a very intelligent audience versus like if you're like a Jake Paul or Logan Paul, like forget it. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> Like you can't like get out. Like, I definitely don't want that type of fame. That's why I'm like in the middle. So, so yeah, it's been yeah, interesting no, I hear man, that. for sure. I hear that. Yeah, I guess no one would be running after yelling Master Talk at the airport. <laughs> I mean, same for us though. Like no one would be running after us yelling our names and stuff. But it's just, that's one of the weirdest things about the the sector that we're going into now as like a generation is with influencers and how much influence, I put that in air quotes, they actually have on people's lives when they don't pro- like provide any real substance and one of the things that um you said and one of the podcasts i actually listened to that you were on was you kept saying well yeah that all that's great but you got to add value right and i mean it's a very simple concept but it's it's the truth no matter where you go because you got to add value to whatever you're doing just to make you memorable make whatever you're doing memorable in my opinion dude i'm with you man I think for me, it's always been about why are you creating content? Like, what's the goal here? And, and if the goal yeah. is to post pretty pictures on the internet and, you know, have an OnlyFans page or something, that's cool too. But just understand that has an expiration date, right? In, in 10, 15 years, your fans will just move on to the next person. Whereas I think yeah. what a lot of people who have been able to build a powerful brand over like four decades, and the best example I can give you is Seth Godin. He's been writing a blog every day since 1989. It's kind of crazy. Like he's like 60 years old today. People still revere him like the God of marketing. Right. And so it really depends what, why are you doing it and what type of person do you want to be? And I'll be honest, I'm always upfront about it. If I never had the idea for master talk, I wouldn't be creating content. I wouldn't like, I would just work on, you know, being an executive. And I'm not saying that as general advice for people. If you'd still don't have those ideas, I encourage you to create, but I was saying for me personally, it wasn't something I was Mm. excited about. I was like, yeah, I want to create content. No, no. The reason I started personally is because I felt I had value to share to the world that just wasn't being shared. It just pissed me off. So I said, uh, yeah, like, I mean, you just said it yourself, right? Right. You're like, Hey, like, I wish, I wish these videos were around. So, so it's like my meaningful contribution to society because I got passed in the same way you'll find out yourself. You know, when you, when you start making money in corporate, you kind of just go like, well, what's the point now? And then, you can yeah, that's, yeah, 
I'm I'm right there with you on that. That's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like you're you're you have to almost take kind of a well a massive pay cut because if unless you have like the next Amazon, I mean, you're gonna the first six months, maybe nine months a year are gonna be kind of shitty if you're an entrepreneur starting out with an idea that may or may not be that great. Sure, so that's that's one of the things that fascinates me about you is like you, you weren't really into it but you're kind of into it but you're like nah i can you know kind of go either way but i'm still into it but you know i'm also not but i am so <laughs> yeah bro like for me it's like you you won't see me making prank videos it's not my style right <laughs> yeah i don't care about that vanity stuff because like i see a lot of these kids do the same thing you know they grow their followings they think it's all that and then they just feel empty and then they give up and then that's it right so so I think it's yeah. important to just do do what works for you. Like for me, Master Talk, like even if I get seven views a video, I would still keep doing it because I know those seven people are high quality and they're still watching the stuff and and getting value out of it. That wouldn't that's 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 interesting you say that. So it wouldn't get like one of the things I've know I've heard is that um there's a, a culture on Twitch that is they create decent content from what I understand, but they, they broadcast to nobody. Like there's nobody watching them, but they keep doing it in the hopes that, you know, they'll eventually get viewers. Some of these guys are doing this for two, three years to nobody. So it's like in your, with, with your experience on YouTube with that, do you think that would ever get deflating or would you just keep doing it? Oh yeah. That's definitely deflating, man. Definitely in, in the Twitch context. Cause Twitch is a bit different, right? Cause you're actually sitting there for two, three hours and it's a live audience. So, so I think for me, it's like, it really depends what the goal is. So for me, like, yeah, it's true. Like, you know, and I stand by, you know, if seven people were watching me every week, I would still do it. But yeah, I probably wouldn't do it if nobody was watching me. Because then it means I'm not adding value yeah. to my content shit, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So I think for That's, me, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I think for me, it really depends on the person. I, I really respect people who do it for two, three years. And, and, you know, nobody's watching. They still keep doing it. I mean, MKBHD is probably the best example I can give you on YouTube. He has like 10 million now. And his first 100 Jeez. videos got him 100 subscribers. Like, it's crazy. Like, he literally got one subscriber per video. And now he's like big. He's huge. But so I think it really depends. Like, which, if you weren't getting paid to do it, would you still do it? Like, just to give you an idea, I lose a lot of money on my YouTube channel. I spend a lot of money on production. But the reason I do it is because what's cool about YouTube that fascinates me is that your content lives forever. Well, the second I post a video on the three lessons I learned from rappers, I don't have to remake that video. So in seven years later, if somebody asks me about the video, I can just link them the video. I don't have to waste time explaining them what the video is about. I just go, here you go. And if somebody asks me about filler words and how to get rid of them, because on a podcast, I'm obviously happy to answer. But let's say it was like a like a conference or whatever i would just send them the video i was like it's done i finished it it's good just the problem solved just send out the yeah. and i was able to turn that into a business but it definitely wasn't like that at the beginning so with with business and, and entrepreneurship and all that stuff in mind i mean there's going to be failure right so how how do you how do you deal with with failure is it one of those things where you just kind of go well shit <laughs> or do you like i mean you know how, how, do, how do you really deal with it because it's like there's some failure and then there's like really bad failure that can occur. And we've experienced it here before. And, you know, it's just a learning experience, really. Yeah, for sure. So, so I think a good way of thinking about failure is you want to tr always assume the worst case scenario. Okay, your girlfriend breaks up with you, boyfriend breaks up with you. Uh, they, they steal all your money. They steal your equipment. Uh, 
Sean just takes all the mics, runs away, and you're just there like, what the hell, man? Like, why? <laughs> I don't know. Just... That would have been, well, that's more of a sister type thing, but yeah, it might be, it might be him too. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> but it was the point I want to drive is if you always prepare for the worst case scenario and everything that you do, you can manage failure better. So let's say in my case, I made a lot of stupid mistakes when I started master talk, and I still do them today. Even today, I'm, I'm bootstrapping my fucking laptop. Isn't it working? You still go it right so, so there's definitely you know things like that 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 can get in your way it's just what i find for most people is they they take it too much to heart they go oh crap i'm I'm doing it on my phone now my life is over and, and they they kind of blow it out of proportion where i think what really strong people do really resilient people is they go okay this is a list of failures and what is the risk behind all of those failures will it really kill me at the end of the day well, no. I mean, if I still get to talk on the podcast, if I'm still audible, it's still going to work. It's not the end of the world. So as long as you really write that down, it's going to be a lot easier for to manage those things. And I'll give you an example, one of my, my big uh, mess ups at the beginning. I had this brilliant idea, and I'm being sarcastic here, to share my videos to university professors. Because to your point, right, you're like, hey, dude, like I, I didn't have these videos. So I said, hey, if I share this with the professors and I build relationships with them, they'll share it to their students. And then the YouTube channel will take off. 50,000 cold emails later in six months of work of literally sitting on my desktop every day and sending 500 emails a day was such a waste of my time. Everyone hated me. It was crazy. Like, <laughs> kid, I don't know who you are. I, I don't want to talk to you. Your videos suck. Get out of here. I just went like, what? So yeah, it was, it was really, <laughs> really eye-opening and it's such a waste of my time. You know, if I'd emailed, 50,000 podcasters, I'd already have like 100,000 subscribers by now. But but that's the thing, like, I, that was a big mistake I made is I, I wasted too much time on something that wasn't working. Instead of reassessing and going, who is going to help me the most? So in the context of school, top to bottom is a stupid strategy. You want to do bottom to up, go, to, go directly to the students and have them share it with other students. That's what's really been effective. And I wish I learned that lesson early. But that's the thing, guys. I think the big lesson here is failure is a part of the game. If you do anything important that actually is worth doing, failure is just, it's just something you need to go through. But I think the key is managing failure in a way. So if it dives, if you fuck up, it doesn't screw up the entire thing. So I'll give you an example with Master Talk. There's a reason I still live in my mother's basement. The reason is in case I lose my job. So if I lose my job, I won't. I do, I do pretty well at work. But if I do, I won't have the funding for Master Talk YouTube videos anymore. And because I'm paying my friend's rent basically through the contract. So if I go down, he goes down, we all go down, and the channel blows up. So so I think <laughs> in advance. I go like this Christmas, I'm probably the only family in Canada who didn't buy gifts for my family. We're just bootstrapping like hardcore. Because I know this thing's gonna blow up next year as long as I focus and I keep all my money in my pocket. So yeah, dude, like that that's the key is you want to mitigate for these things. So when bad shit happens, you have the leverage to always overcome shit. So now I got a lot more money in my bank account. So now if I lose my job, I still have a one-year run rate here for Master Talks. I'll be okay. So that's the way people need to start thinking. How do you manage risk in a way that maximizes your chances of succeeding? That's what's I mean, bro, like when I when I think to just to these YouTube creators and just everybody that has their own company like i the thing that seems to be glossed over much like how no one can seem to find decent content before you started creating master talk the thing that i've noticed no one seems to be able to say 
yeah, it's, it's not going to be perfect. This is going to be kind of a shit show to begin with. If you're starting your own company or you have your own idea or whatever it is, everyone just, the only thing people see is the fact that it's, it's working and everyone, they're making money and everyone's happy. And and that's one of the things that's um, really started to resonate with me is just how dysfunctional it really can be. And no one explains that to anybody that's starting or getting in the field. 100%. 100%. So, I mean, that, that's why, that's it, why, I yeah, bro. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I mean, so that's, that's why I think it's super cool what you're doing is because you're just doing it, man. Like, just do it to it. You know what I mean? Dude, I, I, I'm so with that. That's why I'm so big. Like, the DNA, right, for an entrepreneur is very different from an intrapreneur, someone who works at a company. Because if mm. you're an entrepreneur and you're not willing to just throw lead bullets all the time, you're just not going to make it. You have to be scrappy. You have to be willing to do whatever the hell it takes. You know, like, a, you know, I probably do like what, 20 interviews a week. Some of them have like three people listening. You just got to fucking go, you know, and, yeah. and it's easy for people in my state because I have a pretty good job, right? It's not like I'm making minimum wage. So a lot of people in my company or not really my company, but just in that position would never do what I'm doing, right? They, they, they just wouldn't have like, they wouldn't be able to bring themselves down to go like, Oh yeah, I'm just gonna go like on this podcast. I'm gonna make these videos in my basement. I'm gonna do all this scrappy stuff. You need some kind of personality trait. You need to know how to manage chaos, and it's definitely not for everyone. That's why my big recommendation for people is just start making money and know how to manage your finances. And then after you start seeing like extra, you know, let's say you have like ten thousand dollars in your bank account, you're doing really well for yourself. You've saved well. You don't buy stupid shit. Then at that point, like start thinking about like, okay, you want to start a business now. Now you can. Now you have more flexibility for that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I, I couldn't have said it better. I, I feel bad. He's, he's a public speaker. We're talking about entrepreneurship over here. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, that's, that's awesome. And so with all that in mind, how many YouTube followers do you have off the top of your head? Like five something thousand? Five. Yeah. Something like that. I think it's 5,600, something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that was in, in a span of what, like two years? What do you say? Yeah. I can't remember. It's, it's an early mark. Oh, tears. <laughs> awesome. So I guess the, we talked about a lot of stuff kind of all over the place as this, our podcast usually is, but the one thing I will ask is where do you, like, where, where do you see yourself going with master talk in like the next, like, I don't know, two, three, five years, maybe the time frame? Yeah, for sure, man. You know, I, this is what I always recommend people do. Like as you take small actions, when master talk started like i was taking those small actions just making videos in my base but that was the stupidest idea ever i was like who the hell is going to watch communication videos of all things when all these great youtubers are there talking about a lot of cool stuff but i think what master talk really turned into is this idea that dale carnegie who's the author of the book how to win friends and influence people has had a lot of success in his life the issue though was because he was born in that time period of history he wasn't able to guess on a podcast he wasn't able to share public speaking information at scale in a way it's supposed to be taught, which is through videos. Right? That's the best way to, like, to actually see me do it, right? So because he didn't have that opportunity, yeah. just, you know, I, I through a range of serendipitous experiences, just happened to be one of the youngest people in the industry who happened to have all that experience because I did all those presentations and I put in my hours. I just did it when I was 19 instead of 39 or something. So I have this opportunity that Dale Carnegie didn't have which is how do you democratize? How do you make all of the information accessible so that when I die, people can learn from me forever? So that's the big goal behind Master Talk. Let's see if we knock it out, man. Let's see what happens. 
Wow. That's damn dude. You're getting deep over here, bro. That's, <laughs> that's no, that's, that's awesome. Right, right um, the drunk boys I, <laughs> no this is this has been awesome sean you've been real so, talkative over there what do you, true. <laughs> what I, do you I, have to say i i've been enjoying hearing you guys discuss these things um as somebody who can't speak well um but we are kind of running uh we're almost out of time so i did just want to make sure i got one last question out um so brendan for all for anyone watching this or listening in um, if they're interested in finding more of your content, um, your, your information, where can they find that? Yeah, definitely, Sean. Best way to do that is definitely the YouTube channel. All you got to do is go type master talk in one word and you'll find it right there. Perfect. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, uh, we really appreciate your time, man. Um, and happy new year. This is being recorded on the 1st of January, 2021. So it's, you're, you're a real first. This is our first episode of the year. So congratulations <laughs> for that coveted spot. So yeah, they, um, so yeah, thank you as well, Brendan. Um, and thanks everyone for joining us on this very special episode of Drunk Boys Basement with Brendan from Master Talk. If you're interested in finding where else you can catch us, follow us on Facebook. If there's something you want the Drunk Boys to talk about, let us know. And if you enjoyed hanging out, share our Facebook page. Catch you all next Friday. And remember, please listen responsibly. Bye.